And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Americans, welcome back to another episode of the Inspired Service Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Scheinbaum, and I'm privileged to be joined today by Dr. Ann Kellams, who practices newborn and breastfeeding medicine and is a general pediatrician at the University of Virginia. In addition to all of that, Dr. Kellams is a professor at the school and is also the vice chair of the Department of Pediatrics. Dr. Kellams, welcome to the show. Thank you, Noah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I want to start with a comment that you have made previously that you have known about as long as you've been on this planet that you wanted to be a doctor. First of all, what does forever mean in that context? And how did you know? So some of this even precedes my memory, but I was told by my parents that I used to walk around in diapers saying this. And part of it might have been brainwashing from my father, who is an MD, PhD, but part of it is that I have just always been drawn to people or animals or circumstances that are in need. I have a knack slash annoying habit of noticing things that are wrong or things that are in distress and really, really wanting to help and be there and, and make a difference. And so I think that's been a theme throughout my life and combine that with a fascination of babies and there you have it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I think you share that desire to serve with many of the folks that we've had on this program thus far. And, and yet you're the first who's done that through medicine. Looking forward to exploring with you today because medicine is a tricky field. There's a lot of noise out there about uh, all of the different parts of the medical field, whether those are the practitioners or the researchers, the pharma companies, the hospitals. And so I think it's an important reminder that for many of the folks who are the principal caregivers and, or, or the principal practitioners, this starts from a deep desire to serve. And, and so I appreciate you sharing that message. Let me ask you the second part, the fascination with babies. I'm also fascinated with them. They, they are kind of like aliens. It's bizarre to me that I was ever one of those things. How did you focus, decide that, that breastfeeding medicine and that uh, newborn medicine was a field that was not just going to be an interest, but was going to be your focus? Yeah. So I, out of medical school and pediatric residency, was in pediatric private practice and seeing babies and children and adolescents, young adults of all ages uh, for almost nine years and really loved that work. I really also love teenagers, for example. And so it was great work. You're kind of on the front lines. I was in a, a wonderful practice with very supportive colleagues. But I did notice that on a regular basis, there were things in my office, one-on-one -on -one with a, a patient and a family that I could not impact. And it was because of public health issues or health disparities or sort of issues with our society or this community. And so it made me really think about what can I do about that? Because I can't sit still when I think there's something wrong or not right. And so that's really how I got interested in focusing a little bit and also in teaching, making a difference at the rising or the next generation of physicians 
and then also sort of at the public health, public policy level. That is fascinating. So being in private practice, talk us through this a little bit just for some of us who are not steeped in the, in the medical profession. What does your day look like? So uh, it would depend on whether or not you're on call. If you're not on call, you would report to your office at whatever time it opens. Uh, patients start anywhere from 8, 8.30 in the morning, and you'd have a full schedule of patients and usually grabbing lunch at your desk while you're answering phone calls or checking labs or something. And then if you're on call that day and in a private practice, that could be anywhere from every fourth or fifth day, it means that you're going to the hospital before clinic and rounding on whoever has been born overnight and whoever's in the newborn service that needs to go home and maybe on the pediatric ward as well. Anybody who's been admitted because they're sick or have an asthma exacerbation or an infection that they're getting IV antibiotics for. And then you would do that again in the evening round again at the hospital and then take phone calls overnight from usually worried parents at home. And rounding, just to be clear, is, is literally going like door to door in the hospital and checking on patients yep. in beds. And I mean, that's yep. just, that's one of those things. It blows my mind because I have no idea. I mean, I can barely keep my own health records straight and certainly those of, of the people closest to me. And you might see how many patients in a, in, in a, in a round. For us, we were a, a relatively small practice, maybe somewhere between eight to 10 or 12 patients. Um, usually more in the cold and flu season because people get sicker. But eight to 10 pages, I mean, how do you keep that straight? I mean, you must be so reliant on, on, your, on the nursing staff and so many others to allow you to you know, be, be able to operate even with accurate information. For sure. I, we, um, you know, there's a lot of data collected on each patient and we review that. I take notes. I carry around my little cheat sheet and, um, it does take a lot of kind of, I don't know, organizational skills to do that successfully. Yeah, a, a good sense of out of all of this data, which are the things that are important that would make me make a certain decision right now. I, I bring it up because I'm kind of in awe of the number of things that we ask medical professionals to do simultaneously. It, it's it's phenomenally complex, and so I, I want to make sure that we we give adequate due to just the burdens that we place on medical professionals. So thank you for sharing that. And then, so that was that's your time in private practice. Your day now, I get a sense, is very different. How does a day in the life of a vice chair at UVA, who is also a practicing physician, who is also on like six different research boards and things like that. How does it play out now? So now I'm what you would call an academic pediatrician. And basically I do a combination of that frontline patient care. I still uh, work on the newborn service here, which I tremendously enjoy. And I was actually medical director of that service for 12 years. And I am involved in some research. So I'm on a team that has currently two grants from the NICHD, which is the Eunice Kennedy Shriver National Institute for Childhood Development. And so part of my time is spent working with this team, designing interventions. My particular focus is in the area of parenting, education, and safe infant care behavior. So related to breastfeeding and safe sleep mainly. The other thing I do, which brings me a lot of joy, 
is teaching medical students. So I'm what's called a clinical coach, and I have six or seven students from each of the four medical school classes, so from the very first year all the way through the fourth year that I sort of help shepherd through and both teach and monitor their development of clinical skills. And by that, we mean how do they do with assimilating a whole bunch of information and generating a couple of possibilities for a diagnosis and coming up with a diagnostic and a therapeutic plan. How do you interview a patient and a family to get as much information as you can so that then you can decide which pieces and parts of the exam and laboratory and imaging things that need to happen to help you find an answer or take care of them best. And then I also have this administrative leadership role where I like to think of it as helping the faculty. We have about 150 faculty physicians in our Department of Pediatrics, helping them have what they need to take better care of their patients. So advocating within the health system and burnout and making sure that everyone has a chance to feel like they're doing a good job with their patients and, and, and tied to that that meaning and purpose, that sort of greater purpose that we have as physicians. So, so let me get this straight. You basically took a really busy day as a private practice physician, and then you added like 15 different tasks. And you're now also, <laughs> you still see some patients. You're, you're now an administrator. You do research. You educate. I mean, and the list goes on and on. It is mind-boggling to me that you have found that time which you know begs the question i mean how does it compare do you miss the days of private practice uh is this more or less fulfilling i mean how, how do you feel about about your transition here yeah well there are sometimes because the piece of myself that has is spent seeing patients has gotten smaller over the years as these other responsibilities have been added in i would say that i do miss that probably the most but then when I have my clinics or I work in the hospital, I, I get a little dose of that, just enough to keep me going. I feel just as gratified and fulfilled taking care of one new mama who has a, a new baby and is trying to learn how to breastfeed and is tired and sore and overwhelmed as I do helping division in our department get what they need to do a great job in their clinical work. And I feel very fortunate to be able to have all of those parts in my life. Now, is it complicated? It's very complicated. It's a different time frame, and you have to keep a lot of balls in the air as opposed to focusing on just on the person in front of you. But I think that actually going room to room in private practice honed that skill for me. There are two things that I, I wanted to touch on that you just said. The first is this idea that experiences can build on one another. And so for many folks who are thinking about the role that service may play in their lives, it doesn't have to be a binary, it's all or nothing. There are ways that yeah. you can, uh, that the experiences that you have in many different industries and sectors and jobs can inform the way that you bring the perspective that you bring to whatever that kind of ultimate manifestation of that desire to serve may be. And so you, the message is, is crucial that you would not have been as effective an advocate or as good a teacher or as, as deep a researcher had you not had the experiences in front of patients before. And, and the second thing is this 
it's, it's this common theme that we see with the folks that I'm privileged to talk to every day and some of which, some of whom come on this podcast, which is this calling that yes, life may be simpler doing something else and you might have fewer responsibilities if you took a different path. The decision to pursue service isn't such a decision at all. It's much more of this need to kind of be in the fight and be working on issues that, that you care about or that you think uh, you have the potential to impact people's lives and the world for, for the better. And so I want to just appreciate that and, and thank you for uh, following that passion. Yeah, thank you. One thing I might mention is that I was involved as a medical student and now as a faculty member in a course called The Healer's Art. And this was started by Rachel Remen, who you may have heard of or may not have. Uh, she's the author of a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom. And this is designed mainly for first-year medical students, although we've done it for medical students further along, and we've also done it a similar thing for faculty. But part of, part of what the Healer's Art talks about is the importance of meaning in medicine and this idea that perhaps it is something about us as physicians, you know, that what I mentioned, the being drawn to people in need, as opposed to some people kind of shying away, that there is something inherent about us that sort of brings us or, or calls us, uh, so to speak, to this profession. And um, one of the things that Dr. Raman would say is that first-year medical students are the most in touch with that sense of what brought them here to this career, to this profession, and that our job as faculty in the healer's art is to make sure it doesn't get trained out of them. It's very easy when you're in a field that is very hard work, 24-7, challenging and exhausting, and now sometimes being dictated by forces beyond the doctor-patient relationship, like insurance companies and prior authorizations and things like that. It's very easy to sort of lose touch and just grind away and forget why you're here and why you're doing this work. And so I think that's a part of it for me. And I, I do think of being a physician as service and we're serving life or we're serving this greater good. And that's how you keep this work going is, is being in touch with how important it is and caring about the chance to have an impact. How do you maintain that connection to the to the mission? One thing that strikes me again, I've been on the patient side of this, never on the on the provider side, but doctors see so many and some some really devastating things, right? You kind of see the best and worst of humanity. And how do you prevent yourself from becoming clinically detached to the point of this being a job and not a not a you know a calling? Well, we could do about 10 podcasts just to answer that question. <laughs> But I'll give you a brief answer. And so some of the things that we talk about are, number one, thinking about why you're here. You know, we do a lot of reflections in that course and thinking about um, something that you could look at every day that puts you in touch with that. So that's a, a five-second intervention. Thinking about the pieces and parts of yourself that maybe aren't as nurtured, for example, when you're a busy medical student or resident and doing something to either honor them or carve out time for them because taking care of yourself is as important as the work that you're doing. Some of it is realizing that just what you said, you know, we see the best and the worst of humanity 
and we do and it and it, it's a privilege i can't believe every day first of all that i look at this new baby and that it actually came out of that mother's belly that's amazing every single time and so we get to witness these you know i don't know miracles or the miracle of life and how amazing our bodies are we get to see people who um are thriving even despite horrible circumstances and illnesses and challenges that some of us can't even imagine and and we we see the strength of humanity it feels good to help people and i think there's data to show that if you're volunteering in some way or giving of yourself that feels good and my job is that every day i'm helping people and it's it's very fulfilling it's also exhausting and so you do have to take care of yourself and you do have to recognize what we call the awe moments which may mean a w e like amazing wonderful things and also the ah which is another reason i like to be with babies <laughs> you can't you can't be with babies and not have moments like that all day long so you you got to stop and notice them and you need to give them as much attention as you do the really hard awful i've got to make these phone calls and get the stuff going so i think those are some of the strategies that we teach and encourage in both our students and our faculty you mentioned volunteering and every summer you volunteer you're you're medical lead at, at camp holiday trails for children with special health care needs talk to us about that how did you get involved and why is that something that still is a large portion of your time each year well that started way back when i was in high school I was a counselor for a camp for children with special needs in Texas called Camp C A M P. I loved it and it was one of my favorite things that I did over the summers growing up. And so when I moved to Charlottesville and discovered that Camp Holiday Trails was right here in my backyard, I absolutely wanted to get involved. So started doing little bits and pieces volunteering and then as soon as our kids, we have three children, as soon as they were old enough to be able to participate in camp and get something out of that experience we started volunteering so every summer for one week we move everyone up there and they have now you know kind of risen to volunteers um from having been cabin participants again just a fun way to use the gifts that we've been given and our skills to help people and make a difference and it's sort of like the babies you just can't not be in touch with what's important in life when you see children with physical health challenges uh get to canoe uh do zumba african drumming or you know songs by the campfire it's it's just an amazing experience and everyone who's there feels so blessed to be there and it's just a great week that's really cool uh it's awesome that you all do that and what what a fun family activity too if that is the kind of the, the balance and the perspective taking on one side, let's talk about the, the things that you do to kind of balance and, and share perspective on the other side. You're, you're involved in kind of some policy bodies, both at the state and national level. At the state level, you're on the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics for Virginia, and you're a member of the State Breastfeeding Advisory Committee for the Virginia Department of Health. And then nationally, you're on the executive committee of the AAP section on breastfeeding and the board of the Academy of, Me of Breastfeeding Medicine. So you, you've kind of got all pieces of the spectrum here, right? From the micro level, one-on-one -on -one to 
these these more advisory or policy bodies. I mean, it's easy to imagine that one informs the other, but what drove you to take those seats and what kind of work are you doing on those bodies? The driving force was, like I said, in private practice, noticing and realizing that I was not able to have as big of an impact on the family's health um, due to barriers beyond my control. And so thinking about, um, you know, children with asthma and they go out to eat with their family and people can smoke in the restaurant. That's one example of one of the things we worked on at the state AAP chapter level was banning smoking uh, in restaurants and public spaces. That was, you know, amazing and has an impact. Another issue that I'm very passionate about is breastfeeding. And we know so much about how important it is both for infants' health and for mothers' health for babies to breastfeed. And yet we, out of the 80-something percent of mothers that come in to deliver with this as their plan, um, two-thirds of them are not successful meeting their plan. And so what is that? And what are we doing wrong as the healthcare system that's making it so hard to use this natural resource and do this thing that humans have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years for the benefit of their health. And so working with the American Academy of Pediatrics and helping our pediatricians learn more about this issue and learn from the frontline perspective what you can be doing in your office to help, working with hospital systems to implement the evidence-based practices that have been shown to have an impact even out to 12 months. So how we talk about breastfeeding and how we care for mothers and babies in the hospital just for that few days impacts what they're doing out six and 12 months later. And so there are opportunities there that we either don't know about or we don't think are important or we're not taking advantage of that I am very passionate about trying to help mothers succeed. Really crucial. And, you know, again, for those of us who are less steeped in, in medicine and the American Academy of Pediatrics, that your tool or your mechanism of impact is what? There's physician education. There's also some patient-facing education. There's national meetings where, you know, work is presented and we share the latest information. So there's a a collaboration, I would call it. There are policy statements and clinical guidelines that you want to all be in line with what the best practices are and certain committees and sections. There's often a lot of overlap with something like infant safe sleep or uh, infant feeding. And so it's our job to sort of make sure that the things that are coming out are consistent with the latest evidence in this realm, as well as in whatever other realm is touching it. And then I think interviews like this and getting the word out, and sometimes the local TV station will have a house call and they want to talk about infant feeding or safe sleep. And so every opportunity to educate and disseminate information, I think is, is really crucial to making a difference. Absolutely. Let's talk about, for, for a few moments, some of the work that you're doing. The National Institute of Health made a couple of grants uh, around safe sleep and breastfeeding parenting education. Tell us a little bit about what that work entails, what that research entails, and what's the role that, that NIH plays in all of that? So I 
would say that NIH plays the role in sort of putting out the calls for awards, meaning that they say, hey, we think that sudden unexpected infant death is an important topic, and that's how safe sleep relates to that. And we think that breastfeeding is an important public health problem that we want to find ways to address. And so obviously for both of those things, you know, intersects with my interest and my team. I joined a team, I was lucky enough to join a team that has a almost decades of history basically studying infant care practices, also sudden infant death syndrome. And Breastfeeding, I don't know if you know this is protective against sudden infant death, so my expertise in breastfeeding. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant in addition to being a pediatrician. And so we just started collaborating. And what we're doing is trying to use a text messaging platform where we send little tiny short videos via text message to new mothers. And in the Smarter Grant, we are expanding on work we've done postnatally to now the prenatal period and focusing in particular on women with lower incomes. So it's about making sure that the mamas feel empowered. Uh, it's about, we know from our previous work that attitudes and social norms play a huge role in a mother's success. And so we're doing things to try to make it the norm, and they're going to hear from other mothers' voices about why they're doing a certain thing or why they made a certain decision. They're going to hear from us about how more and more women are doing these practices and know it's important. And then they're also going to know what the evidence-based best practices are in the hospital so that they will be empowered to advocate for themselves. So we're trying to teach them the things that we know help mothers be successful and also normalize infant behavior and have realistic expectations and so that it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming when the baby comes. So those kinds of things, we just want parents to both know and then actually have tools and tricks and tips to actually execute those healthiest infant behaviors. Wow. <laughs> It strikes me that we spend so much time educating people in our society about how to do professional tasks and you know get a job and how to you know think about the world and almost no time on how to be a parent and it's I'm glad there are people like you out there who are doing that research because gosh that is that is a scary mountain of knowledge to have to climb. Yeah, well I liken it to driver's ed and getting your license, right? Because I have teenagers. And that's an entire process over many, many months. We don't do anything. You know, we just, oh, okay, you're expecting, congratulations. <laughs> you're going to have a baby. And yeah, I agree. I think the more prepared you are and the better, most accurate information you have, because you're going to be faced with many, many decisions, the better. Absolutely. So, so I'll give you the opportunity here. I uh, talked about the need to change some social norms. Uh, what can we be doing better to support some of the, the findings of your work and some of your observations? I think that new parents feel completely supported to get the most up-to-date information and carry that out. And I think that if we don't know or haven't read the latest studies, et cetera, maybe weighing in less, I think things like paid maternity leave, you know, we're, we're one of the only developed countries in the world that does not have universal paid maternity leave. And I guarantee you that plays a role in the success of women and breastfeeding. 
Um, I think we need to, as a society, movie images, advertisements, media need to show safe sleeping and show breastfeeding and not be disparaging of it when we know that it's important for public health. I love that actresses and comedians and all sorts of famous people are kind of getting more real about what it's like to be postpartum and breastfeeding and normalized breastfeeding and they're posting it on Instagram and things like that. I think that helps. I think as as doctors and educators, we all need to make sure we're up on things. I can tell you that breastfeeding was not something that I got really trained about and lactation physiology, even though it burns 500 calories a day for the mom that's doing it, was not something that we had a course about in medical school. And so um, some of us who are out practicing now have not benefited from getting all of this information. So we really have to seek out opportunities to learn. No, that's great. That's a, it's a great list. And we've all got a long, uh, a long reading list now to compile and, and some homework to do. So thank you. For there you that. go. Really quick. want to just hit you with the lightning round. Three quick questions, four quick questions. Sorry. Uh, let's just first thing that comes to mind, a few, few seconds on each one. Okay. First question is what does service mean to you? Service means using the skills, the time and the passion that you have to make a difference. What's been the highlight of your time in service? The highlight of my time is every time I get to talk to and interact with a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And on the flip side, what about the low light? When has it been hardest for you? I think the hardest thing has been juggling being a parent myself with Mm. this work that I do. And different stages and ages of my kids have required different commitments and time and and things and just always feeling like, am I doing a good job at work? Am I doing a good job at home? That that tension has been probably the hardest. So despite that, what is it that has pushed you to keep going? The importance. And it's funny now that my kids are teenagers and have some modicum of perspective, they think the work I can do is important. And actually, when I was asked to be vice chair and I came home and I I had told them at work that I would think about it. And I came home and I said it to my kids. They were like, mom, you would be so good at that. You definitely should do it. And they're, mm-hmm. they're proud of the work that I do. They're proud of me. So um, that helps keep me going and just knowing that it's important and I don't want to give it up. And the kids who I love are not always going to be living under my roof. And I want to have this work that is meaningful to me to, to keep going. I am overwhelmed with the incredible impact and just volume of opportunities that are that are in front of you. Uh, the, the, just the portfolio of experiences that you have managed to put together, all in service of better human health outcomes and, and in making a difference. So I, I want to thank you for all that you've done, for people, for our country, for the folks who have benefited from your experience and expertise. Before I let you go, just ask if there are any final words that you have for our listeners. No, I just want to thank you, Noah, for including a physician in this incredible podcast series that you've put together and recognizing that this is really important work because I think there's probably a lot of frontline doctors out there who are thinking about what their day ahead of them looks like that would really love to just hear that, wow, you know, you do really important work. This is a big deal. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And and thank you for for all that you do for your patients and, and for our country. Thank you, Anne. All right. Thanks for having me.
For more episodes of the Inspired Service Podcast, please visit us at www.inspiredservice.org and subscribe on iTunes.